I'm Caleb. I'm the lead pastor here. If we haven't met yet, welcome. So glad that you're here. Uh, way to be courageous and just come down front and center. Just, just, just courteous, waiting for her to finish, and then courageous, walking down front. <clears throat> um, it's uh, Labor Day weekend, you know? How about that? Congratulations. It's kind of like your last hurrah. Uh, some of you sent your kids back to school last week. Uh, moms are like, hallelujah. Uh, but some of you are, are still trying to like squeeze in everything that you want to do and didn't do in the summer. You got like another day. Uh, most of you aren't going to work tomorrow. But I thought, uh, I thought as, as, we're, as summer's coming to a close and school is coming back and work is ramping back up and tomorrow's Labor Day, wouldn't it be appropriate to talk about work and why we work on this Labor Day weekend. So that's, that's what we're going to get into. Why, why do we do this thing called work? We spend at least probably a third of our lives in some kind of activity, right? Uh, some of us are in between jobs. Some of us are uh, you know, self-employed and you get to manage a little bit more and do a little bit differently. But for most of us, it's like a third of our lives. Uh, you, you're working, you're contributing, you're doing something, and a lot of people don't like that work. So I wanted to maybe help refocus and reframe our work a little bit uh, this morning. But what I want to start off with is if you would grab your bulletin and this little outline that is in your bulletin. I know that some of you don't believe in uh, writing implements called pens anymore, but if you, if you have a pen, would you grab that? If you don't have a pen, I know you have a phone and you got a notes app or an Evernote app, so just grab that. It's an opportunity to use your technology. I want to invite you to write down things on the left-hand column that are mundane, having to do with your work, <laughs> that are boring, that you don't like, that you wish you didn't have to do, activities that you're tired of, things that you dread doing when it comes to work, people that you struggle interacting with, just for fun, shout some of those out. Not the people, but the, but the, the mundane things, the tasks. What, what's, what's, a, what's a mundane task associated with your job? Meetings. Meetings. Driving. Driving. What? Expense report. Expense report. Phone, calls. Phone calls. Travel. Clients. <laughs> Why do I even do this? I hate you all. <laughs> Getting up early, I heard. Write those things in or, or punch them into your phone on the left-hand side. These are the mundane aspects of my job. We'll get back to that later. When I was graduating from college, it's been a while now, uh, somebody told me that if I got a job that I enjoyed 50% of the work that I did, that I'd be ahead of the curve. <laughs> Apparently, most people dislike the majority of their job which is kind of depressing as a student that's leaving college and going into this workforce. You're like, oh, great. But the belief has been that if you can you know, enjoy or tolerate or kind of be okay with 50% or more of your job day-to-day, -day, that you're in good shape because most people don't like their jobs. And we live in a culture today that is constantly talking about and trying to move toward living out your passions, right? Quit 
the corporate job that you hate and do what you love. Start the business, start the blog, work for yourself, do your own thing, create. And maybe one day we're all going to be our own independent brands and freelancers and contract. Maybe, maybe that day's coming, but it's not right now for most of us. Most of you are not living in that financial free and independent state that you can do whatever you want and just apply yourself to things that you love. Most of us are having to work to earn a living because we have to. And because last service, people I talked to this week, people I talked to all the time, most of us are in jobs that maybe wouldn't be our first choice. And I hear people saying all the time, man, tomorrow's Monday. I just don't want to go back to this thing. What I hope to do this morning is for those most of us to reframe, and for all of us, to reframe how we think about work. Because what if your real work and your vocation are not necessarily the same thing? You have a job description and responsibilities that earn you a paycheck, but what if your real work are opportunities that go beyond your responsibilities? What if your real work could be more meaningful than the mundane tasks that you currently associate with having to check in, clock in, go through the motions. Whether you are the president and the CEO or whether you are on the low end of the totem pole, I believe that as we look to how God wired us for work today, that you can have your perspective shifted. And conveniently, tomorrow is Labor Day and most of you have the day off. So you can let these ideas sink in for a whole nother day and just maybe, maybe on Tuesday you'll approach your work in a new way. To understand the meaning of work, we have to go back to the beginning because that's a good place to start. Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Notice, then God said, we talk around here a lot about how words create worlds. That's something that I feel passionately about. I say that a lot. We see it again here that God says, and he spoke, we believe, he spoke things into being. If he's the God of the universe, why not, right? So he speaks and things are, and he says, let us create human beings into our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Notice, they will reign over, which means to manage, to oversee. So human beings, let's create them like us to oversee creation on earth, sea, and sky. That they will manage all of this creation that I'm creating. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Let this sink in for a moment. You were created in the image of the creating one. You were designed in the image of the designer. The one who created puts his DNA in you. You have his spiritual DNA, his thumbprint on your soul, the creative center of the universe. You know what it is because you have uh, parents, right? And you probably look a little bit like one of your parents, have some gestures and do some stuff like your parents. Someone was just telling me yesterday that my two and a half year old son, Jack, stands like me. I don't know what he was doing, some kind of thing. And I was like, really? That's how I stand? I didn't know that's how I stand. But I guess that makes sense because he has my DNA 
and he watches me all the time, you have the DNA of the creator of the universe. It's in you. It's who you are. Verse 26, then God blessed them, the first humans, and said, be fruitful and multiply. These are his first instructions to human beings. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals that scurry along the ground. In other words, manage, oversee, contribute, add to. He says, be fruitful and multiply. You are created in the image of the creator to create, to contribute, to add to, to manage. There are raw materials that he has made, that he has put into creation. And he allows you and I to participate with him in the creative process. This earth is not done being created. He says, now I've done this, you have a role to play. You add to this. You manage this. You care for this. Because after all, I put my DNA in you. So we co-create with the creator. It's what we do. We co-create with the creator. The first way that we did that in the beginning, I don't know if you know the story or not, but, but the Bible tells this account of God creating all these animals and then he puts a, a man, Adam, which means man, into a garden and he says, look, uh, I've done all this, now you oversee and you do, and while, while you're at it, why don't you name these animals? So it's Adam's first like big creative expression and he's really feeling it. We know at first because he, he gave us names like hippopotamus, right? <laughs> and then he gets a little tired in the creative process. He just starts calling things what they do. Fly, I don't know, I'm just, I'll be a fly. So there's a decline to the creative process is all that I'm getting at. But, but, but from the very beginning, he engages humans. He engages you and I and says, you have a role to play in this. I'll create, you name, you add, you manage. It's, it's this relationship that we've always had with our creator. And then look at Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it, to take care of it, to work. This is before, this is before any rebellion or sin or anything came into the world. God still designed us to work, that we would receive satisfaction from participating with him in working and managing and caring for. It's in you. It's who you are. We are, after all, stewards. This is his big playground called earth and this universe. We are here to care for his creation. And that's, what, that's the first instructions he ever gave a human being. Care for this. So we are stewards. When Hillary and I went to Washington a few weeks ago, we did a study break up there. We're gone for a couple of weeks. We, uh, we put our home on Airbnb, which is, you know, like vacation rental by owner, but it has a better app. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and people are renting out their places. So we tried that first time, and uh, we were a little bit apprehensive at first, putting valuables in tubs and in the garage, and like, what's going to happen to our stuff? What are we going to come back to? The first family, great. 
uh, we had someone check in on it, and they were good, and everything was fine. Next family, fine. But one of the families, uh, they, they messed up our place. They got in there, and they let their kids run wild, and there were stains like this big on the couch cushions, and they, they just, you know, flipped it over because, well, you know, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then they put a hole in one of our doors, and uh, they decided to melt crayons and some of our dishware and then, and then eat popsicles and then like, take a few licks and then throw it back in the freezer. We were finding all this crazy stuff when we got back from our little vacation to, to, to see the home that we had let people steward and stay in who obviously had no respect of the fact that this wasn't their home. This was our home, right? Isn't that frustrating when that happens? I can tell you it's frustrating when that happens. But it's similar. God created all of this. And then he says, here, I'm putting you, I'm putting you on this big playground to keep up the creative process, to care for and to manage. We are stewards of his creation. Side note, we're also environmentalists by default because this is his. And the first instruction that he gives humans is to take care of it. And then in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, in other words, I'm going to renew. You know, how, you know how we can be renewed from within day by day? We talked about this last Sunday. If you don't get the podcast, you can listen back. Just subscribe to that podcast. We're re- being renewed from the inside all the time. Why wouldn't he also be renewing things on the outside? He's renewing That's what he's in the business of, restoring, making whole, making new. And there's a lot of people that think, well, we can just do whatever we want on this earth because we're going to go to heaven one day. What if heaven and earth actually become one thing one day? You're like, dang it, I should have paid more attention to his first instruction to care for this place. We're all environmental. It doesn't matter your political persuasion. We're all environmentalists in that we care for God's creation. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's what he's asked of us as stewards. Caring for, contributing, co-creating. We're we're investors. We're managers. And we're entrepreneurs. All of us. All of you. You're an investor. You invest in people's lives all the time. You're investing. You're making deposits. You're, You're speaking into. Words create worlds, right? You're speaking and you're drawing out. You're investing in businesses. You're, you're helping things become better. If you're a teacher, you're investing. You're not, you're not just, it's not just about a curriculum that you have to accomplish during the day. You're investing in the future. If you're a coach, coaches make or break kids' experiences with sports. You know this. You're investing in their future. You're giving them a good experience, showing them that team matters. It's more than just the mundane tasks. There's meaning. And entrepreneurs, you're, you're blazing new trails. You're co-creating with God. You're, you're creating with him, letting new things come into being. It's what we do. And I know some of you are like, yeah, but I don't, I don't really feel creative. I don't really feel like an entrepreneur. I just do this. X, you know, I just do that. This is just my role. No, no, no. There is no mundane task or there's no menial task. There's nothing that is insignificant. Let's put it this way. The guy who cuts the lawn at the Vatican and the Pope are equal in terms of their significance. 
One is not more meaningful in God's eyes than the other, believe it or not. And in fact, we have a pope that's so humble, he might actually cut the lawn at the Vatican. He might be, he might be that guy. One is not more meaningful than the other. You are co-creating with God whatever you do, bringing meaning, bringing purpose, investing, managing, caring for. I was talking with a guy uh, this week who told me that he, was, he feels called to, quote, ministry. He said, I feel called to ministry. I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And I said, okay, well, that's great. Um, I think you should work at Starbucks. And he was like, what? I don't think you heard me right. Uh, I said that I feel called into uh, ministry, like, like uh, I should work at a church. And I go, well, maybe. Some people should work at a church. But, but did you know that everyone's called to ministry? Did you know that everyone who cares for people well is ministering? Did you know that everyone who honors God with their work and what they do is doing ministry? And, and if you really, really want to do great ministry, then why wouldn't you go and put yourself in a position where hundreds of people are going to walk in front of you every single day? And for a quick moment, you might be able to give them a better experience of their day and speak a word of encouragement and turn their frown into a smile and just serve them in some moment of significance. Why wouldn't you do that first? Because my, my theory is if you're unwilling to do that, you probably shouldn't be in vocational ministry. A lot of us tend to think that our vocation is really the thing when it's not the thing. There is real work that goes far beyond just whatever is your job description, the real work of bringing meaning into the mundane. And all work is sacred. Whether you work at the church or for the government or for Google, they're all equally important and significant because you're co-creating with God. There's a famous story about Steve Jobs recruiting John Scully away from Pepsi to come work for him at Apple, right? You heard this story? Steve Jobs goes up to me and says, hey, I need you to run this marketing. I need you to take Apple to the next level. And he goes, well, what are you going to pay me? I'll pay you a million dollars. And John Scully says, yeah, right. I already make three million at Pepsi. Why would I do that? And Steve Jobs famously says, well, you can keep selling sugar water for the rest of your life, or you can come with me and change the world. So John Scully left Pepsi and went and worked at Apple. Why? Because Steve Jobs captured his imagination with a vision and meaning beyond the mundane aspects of the job, that there is more to this, that there is significance and potential. And friends, I am telling you, you can find that same vision and meaning in everything that you do. Because it has eternal significance when you're co-creating with God. Let's just take my wife Hillary, for example. She works between 6 and 12 hours a week uh, teaching Pilates. And when I first talked to her about this message, her words were, yeah, but I just teach Pilates. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's not just Pilates. It's not just a job description of what you do. There is so much more meaning hidden in it. Think about it for a moment. She drives to the studio, usually early in the morning, and she opens it up and she walks in. She gets the temperature to the right place for it's, so it's conducive for these women to come and exercise, right? And these women, they show up, and it's usually 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m. Those are kind of the time slots that, that she's usually working. So it's often their first encounter of the day. So that means they're waking up and Hillary literally has the ability to help chart the course of their day. 
first thing in the morning. And she can do that in part by playing music. So she, she can choose what music goes on while they're exercising. And this music is not only for those 55 minutes. This is music that just might ring in their heads the rest of the day, charting the course of someone's day. And she can, and just instead of just saying, hey, go over there and, and lay down on that reformer machine thing, she can look them in the eyes and know their name and make them feel special of just for a moment. And instead of just barking out instructions of how to do this particular exercise, she can lean in and encourage and say, you're really getting it. I really see progress with you. I, you're working so hard. She can, words create worlds. She can speak life into each of these people. And maybe, maybe even help them to believe things about themselves and their future that they struggle to believe on their own. She's not just a Pilates instructor. She's shaping people's views of themselves. She's shaping people's day with the words that she uses, with the way that she cares and makes eye contact, with the environment in there that she creates with the affirmations that she gives, with the water that she hands out so they'll be hydrated the rest of the day, all of it, I'm telling you, all of it matters. And it's not just mundane when you bring that kind of meaning and significance to your work. We honor God when we work and when we work hard, regardless of what we're doing. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. At the end of the day, it's God you are serving. Work, do your best, co-create with him, give it your all because this is, this is how he's wired you. This is what he's made you to do, to contribute, to co-create with him. We are all servants, ultimately, of God in this process. You know, in the Old Testament, God pictures himself as a gardener. Several times he's referred to that way. He, he takes on this kind of image as gardener. Interesting, right? And then in the New Testament, Jesus does what for a living? He's a carpenter. Two very simple, regular, everyday jobs working with their hands. Perhaps because he wanted to make good and clear that there is no menial task. There is no insignificant job. If you are working and co-creating with him and contributing and caring for, you are doing something sacred, something special, something significant, something that really actually matters. It doesn't matter if you're blue collar, white collar, no collar. We're all the same. Nothing is too good. Nothing is below you. We serve. We add value. We contribute. We care for the world and the creation in it. It's what you're designed for. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, whether you're an investment banker, government worker, bank teller, teacher, coach, there's no menial, insignificant thing when you bring meaning to it. When I played volleyball at uh, USC, um, we had a good night last night. They, I, <laughs> I had, I, there was the equipment manager named Hammer, and he was the guy who would clean our uh, workout clothes. So we would practice, and then we would have this 
little thing on a, a, a hook deal, and we would put all of our clothes through this thing, and we would throw it in this deal, and we would come back and miraculously open up our lockers, and there would be clean clothes, just like that. I wish that my life still worked that way. Uh, it's just like, this is dirty, and voila, it's clean. And, and uh, so the hammer was the guy who did the cleaning every day. I think he slept there uh, because there was, I saw a cot one time, and then if I was there at 5 a.m., Hammer was there. If I was leaving at 8 p.m., Hammer was still there. And I was really impressed by this guy, but I was just like an 18-year-old, and I didn't really know anything. And so, I, but I heard a senior have an actual conversation with him, and uh, he said, Hammer, dude, I've been here for four years. Like, I, I just need to know more about you. What, why do you do what you do? You're here every single day, all the time, washing our clothes, and you have such a great attitude. Tell, tell me about this. And Hammer, with all seriousness, just without skipping a beat, says, what's my job? I love to do this. It's my job. So I do it the best that I can. Well, why do you do it, Hammer? Well, because you guys need to play at a high level. And so I just, my, my responsibility is just to take care of your equipment so that you don't have to think about that. And so if your equipment is taken care of, uh, then you can just focus on playing well. And if you're playing well, then, then our school can win championships. And if our school can win championships, then that's good for the school. And, and then you're going to go on, you're going to know how to win and succeed in life. And so it, it's good for everybody. It's just my job. Cleaning clothes for punk 18 to 22-year-olds, but he did it with such pride and such care day after day after day because he believed that it was special, it was significant, it mattered. He was helping, he was playing his role. I know a lot of religious people who do their jobs with a whole lot less love than hammer. Whatever you do, do your best. You're serving God. And when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in your life, in this world to do? He replied very simply, love God with everything that you are. And equally as significant, love others. So as you work, when you work, maybe you pay attention to those things. That it's an expression of love with everything that I am. That includes my work. And I'm caring for people as I work. I'm contributing. So it shifts the question from what will make me the most money and give me the most status to maybe this question that you could ask yourself. How, with my current skills and expertise, opportunities and abilities, can I be of the greatest service to other people? How, with my current skills, experiences, expertise, opportunities and abilities, can I be of the greatest service to other people? Because Jesus said at the end of the day, this is all that matters. Love God with everything that you do and everything that you are. And in doing so, love people well. When I co-create with God, I am bringing a slice of heaven to earth. When I co-create with God, I am helping people appreciate one another. When I co-create with God, I'm valuing the contributions of others on the team. When I co-create with God, I'm working together for the greater good, adding value to the community that I'm in. When I co-create with God, I'm, 
I'm, I'm willing to do things that are outside of my role if it helps somebody else. When I co-create with God, I'm using the raw materials that he's put in this world to make things new, to, to restore, to recreate, to make better, to add value. When I co-create with God, I'm creating environments of love and encouragement where people can thrive and feel good about their contributions too. Friends, what if, what if our church, what if we became people who were not simply known for showing up at a church on a Sunday, but what if we were known for making our workplaces better Monday through Friday? What if instead of just having like a verse at the bottom of our emails, what if, what if the people that received our emails felt like we made their lives better? What if instead of bumper stickers or t-shirts or signs out on Main Street or whatever, what if, what if people who followed this God and wanted to live in alignment with this God and make the most of their lives, what if they were known for working really hard and being excellent at what they did? And everybody else looks and pays attention. It's like, that person has something figured out. They are great at that. They are creative. They don't strike me as a creative person, but they, but they seem to come up with ideas. They don't, they're not the leader of the company, but somehow they're the ones that make this environment feel so much better. I feel encouraged and cared about by this person on my team. There must be something different about them. We're co-creators with God, adding value recreating, making new, contributing. You're a co-creator who happens to be a coach. You're a co-creator who has a vocation as an accountant. You're a co-creator who's a teacher. You're a co-creator who's a CEO of a particular company at a particular time. You're a co-creator. You're a co-creator who's a stay-at-home parent, investing in the lives of the next generation creating environments where people feel welcome. You're a co-creator. It's what you do. It's how you're designed. Created in the image of the creating one. So I want to give you a moment, if you would, and take out this outline again or your phone where you're taking your notes and write down what are the ways that you can shift from viewing your tasks that you don't like at work and making them more meaningful. where you can look at it in a different way through a different lens. That instead of this being a drudgery, that you can actually bring new creativity to it, that you see yourself as partnering with God in it, you see yourself as adding value to the lives of others through it. It'll change everything for how you work, for how you go about your day, for the kind of person that you are as a teammate, as a boss, as an employee. It changes everything. You're a co-creator, bringing meaning to the mundane. God, thank you for giving us your creative gene. Thank you for allowing us to partner with you, continuing to create from the raw materials that you've put in this earth. God, would you excite us with the potential? Would you energize us with what could be? Would you inspire us? with ideas, with an attitude of love and care and concern 
that we could continue to be a part of your creative and redemptive work in this world, regardless what our job is, that we would be co-creators with you.